Parsha Themes is for inspired people like you who are looking for engaging and relevant Parsha and Moedim thoughts. Our weekly discussions focus on uplifting thoughts and actionable ideas that will upgrade your Avodah Hashem and enhance your Shabbos and Yantav table. I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Tropper, and it's an honor to have you with me here today. Welcome, everyone, to Parsha's Noach. It was amazing to hear back from everybody regarding Bereshis. There's so much discussion that goes on from sharing things, and I, I welcome your comments and questions, um, people that agreed with things that I said or were inspired. It's always nice to hear from you. And people that disagreed or had different interpretations. That's also the Hagdil Torah Ladira. That's how we get to understand each other and understand Torah better. So as Vasufa, there's always love when we when people learn together. And it's always great to hear from everybody. All right, I'm really excited to share many beautiful concepts from the Ramban and Parshas Noach. So let's get started. All right, so the first thing the Ramban talks about is he asks the question, which is, very obvious question in Parshas Noah, which is that if you have sulfur and acid that's pouring down from the heaven, um, obviously a little wooden teva is not going to save everybody. That's not sufficient to keep everybody protected. And not only that, but if you have this very, very small teva, uh, again, it wasn't small in terms of how we look at it size-wise, you know, it was 300 almost, which is, you know, about 600 feet long. So it's it's big. It's a couple of football fields. But the amount of animals that had to be on there, all the different species, all the different types, two of each non-kosher animal and and uh, seven of each uh, kosher animal, that's that's uh, that's a lot of animals. And so th- th- there definitely was a miracle here. And the Ramban says that it's true. There was a miracle. There was a miracle that it was protected. There was a miracle that every, everything fit, fit inside. But the point is that the way of Hashem is that he wants us to do our hishtalis. We have to do our part in order to put in the human effort. And then Hashem does the rest. And he explains that this is the way of all the miracles and all the, and, uh, all the nevuah that came through that, that told people to do things. There was always, you do your human part and Hashem will do the rest. And the Sefer HaChinuch talks about this specifically when it comes to um, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. So Moshe was told that he should lift his hand and um, over, this, over the uh, Yamsuf and it would split. And the Pasuk describes that Hashem sent a Ruach Kadim Azakol Alayla, a very, very strong wind that was blowing. And the Chinuch, Sefer HaChinuch, probably written by Rav, uh, Rav Aaron Halevi, the Ra'ah, a contemporary of the Ritva, Talmud of the Rashba, very likely he was the author, although it is a controversy. Um, so he says, and this was, Sefer HaChinuch was what he used to teach his children and their friends would come over for Shabbos and he would teach them ideas from the Parsha on Tamiya Mitzvos shot, and even deeper, as we see, and halacha, very, very fascinating ideas. So he says that, why did Hashem send a big, strong wind? And he explains two things. One of them is that, while it's true that, of course, Hashem miraculously split the Yamsuf, but he also likes to do things, where it, it could look like Teva. And that's for two reasons. One is to still maintain free will, and two is to give a piskon pef for those that don't want to believe that they have a way that they could deny and in fact, there have been scientists who have written about it and said that maybe either Moshe's staff, the material that it was made out of, split the water. It was sapphire or other materials that, that make water part slightly, which is ridiculous. Or they write about this big wind that the Bible itself describes, as they say it. Um, and of course, this we understand as Jews that Hashem works in the way of Teva. And we find this in the base of Migdash also, that even though really miraculously a fire would come out of heaven, but there's mitzvah l'havim in a hedyot, the, there's a mitzvah for us to still light a fire on the Mizbeach in order to, to cover up the, the miracle. Hashem does not like to do outward miracles. He did them at Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, and he showed himself, but uh, that goes against the nature of the world. In fact, the entire idea of Purim is 
inner miracles that happened. There was nothing outward. There were still miracles that happened there too, but they were all behind the scenes. That's a big yisod of the Ramban and many other Rishonim, like I said, from the Chinuch. Another thought, which is very dear to me because I think it's a very beautiful idea, is that there's a contradiction. If we look in uh, the Torah, Parshas Noach, Parag Zion, Pasuk Tes, it says that two two animals came to Noach, to Lateva, Zachar and Akeva, like Hashem had commanded uh, Noach. And Rashi says explicitly, and the Pasuk basically says it, Me'alan, that the animals came to the Teva on their own, which means simply that Noach did not have to chase after them. They simply lined up. However, in a later Pasuk, in, uh, Parag, in, in sorry, actually in an earlier Pasuk when it describes it, it says Parag Zion, Pasuk Bays. It says, You should take seven of the Tahar animals. And the instructions are very clear. It says that you should go take them. So which one is it? Do they come on their own or do you take them? And if you look at the Ramban, the Ramban reads the Pesukim brilliantly and clearly. And this is exactly what the Pesukim are saying. That he explains that there were two reasons that animals were on the Teva. One of them was in order to, to help them survive the mobble. If they were on the mobble, then they lived. And then these animals would be able to come off the Teva and uh, continue their species and their line of generations. And the other reason was the kosher animals, at least the extra six, uh, they were there in order that Noah could bring karbonos. Noah and his children could bring karbonos to Hashem, to thank Hashem and to appease Hashem after the uh, model. And so the Ramban says, if you read the Pasuk clearly, the Pasuk says straight out that the two that came in order to live, the man and fe- the uh, male and female animal, they came on their own because that wasn't Noah's problem. That was, so to speak, God's problem. He was trying to keep the world going. And so those did come on their own. However, the ones that, the extra six that were going to be used for karbonos, they were going to be used for a mitzvah, says our Ramban, those Noah had to go after and get. And we see a beautiful yesod here. We see clearly that when a person does a mitzvah, they need to put in effort. And Hashem wants our effort that we put in mitzvahs. And so on the one hand, some of the animals did come to Noah on their own. Uh, those are the ones that were just there in order to survive. But the ones that were going to be used for a mitzvah, that Hashem made it that, no, Noah, they're not coming to you. You have to put in the work. And when you put in the work, then you get paid back. And I want to share a beautiful story that really touches on this in two ways. One in the effort of mitzvah, but the other in the reward that we get when we put in effort. And uh, really a very, very powerful story. Uh, the the poverty that, that was around in, in, in the Jewish communities throughout the world, especially in the early 1900s, was just really, really powerful to the point that the stipler told over that when the Chavetz Chaim passed away in 1933, he, he simply was not able to go to the funeral because he had no money. He just had no money to be able to transport himself there. And uh, the, the abject poverty that the standard Jewish communities lived in was, was, was astounding. And um, so you could imagine that in order to get hold of a safer, if you wanted to learn something, it was a tremendous challenge. And um, the stipler was learning, and he was very interested in getting hold of a safer called Imre Moshe that had been published in the early 1900s and was taking over the Jewish community by storm. People loved it. They thought it was tremendously brilliant and a, a very, very brilliant safer written by Ramosha Sokolovsky of Brisk. And so the stipler uh, sent a letter to the author, author Ramosha, and asked him, um, are you able to send it to me? And when I get money, I'll, 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 I'll pay for it. And he explained that he was a yeshiva bacher and he was learning. And the Imre Moshe wrote back and sent him a safer and said that you're a yeshiva bacher, you're learning, and I want you to have a safer. Just the fact that you're learning from it is, is so important to me and so and so meaningful to me that I want you to have it as a gift. And, okay, the stipler went through it. He gained from it. So there was 
a tremendous effort on both parts. There was the effort on the stifler to put in the effort to get the safer and to, he was going to try to collect money to get it. And he took the effort to write to the author. And there was the effort of the Irimosha who sent him a free safer, which was not a cheap thing back then. And what happened was after the war, all, most of the community was wiped out and people did not have Svarm. And a lot of Svarm were lost. A lot of great Svarm were lost. I mean, the Nazis destroyed uh, the Panovajarov's, all of his manuscripts. Many, many manuscripts were lost. And the Talmud and the Imre Moshe, who had survived and immigrated to Eretz Yisrael, they wanted to put out a safer again. They couldn't find it. And they looked and they wrote and they sent out tremendous inqu inquiries to try to find out if anybody had a copy so that they could republish it. And when the stipler found out about this, he had immigrated. He had escaped the Holocaust. He had come to from Europe to Eretz Yisrael earlier. His brother-in-law, the Chazanish, brought him in. He had a copy of the Sefer. And the stipler was meticulous with his property, especially with his farm. He had tremendous Kavadatora for them. And he had the last remaining copy of it. And it was through that copy that they were able to reprint the entire Sefer. And so this, this story is very touching to me on many fronts. First of all, because we see the effort people are willing to put in to learn Torah. But more than that, because the chesed that the Imre Moshe did by sending a free safer to this bacher who was learning was one that Hashem repaid, that this safer was actually, his, his safer was able to be used and reprinted by thousands, tens of thousands of people because of this great mitzvah that he did. What a beautiful thought. All right, I want to talk a little bit about the rainbow. Uh, so a lot of the Rishonim ask that, okay, after the mobile, Hashem shows Noah and his family the rainbow, the kashti, Hashem calls it my keshes. My rainbow, and this is going to show that um, that Hashem is no longer going to destroy the world. So, what does this mean? And so, what's very interesting is that uh, the Ramban and many other Rishonim say that if you look at a rainbow, what it is is actually a, a bow, as in bow and arrow. Um, it's a bow, and not only is it a bow, but the way the rainbow appears, it's a bow that's kind of facing downward. Meaning, if you were shooting it down at Earth, uh, the the rainbow would be upside down. The circular part of the rainbow would be pointing downward and you would pull it back and you would shoot the arrow. So when you put it upside down, it's actually showing disarmament. So that's, that's, what, that's what Hashem is showing. He's showing a disarmament, that I am no longer going to be attacking. I am no longer going to destroy the world. And it was a new world order. And that's what the Ramban is saying. I had a kid one time that asked, I was at a Shabbos table and the kid asked, you know, Tati, I don't understand. If the rainbow shows that Hashem wants to destroy the world, but is no longer going to, then why is it so pretty? It should be very ugly. And so the, the father said, that's a very good question. Why don't you ask our guest? And so I told the kid, well, this is what I think. So when I was about 12 years old, I one time, uh, it was a snowy day and the school bus left me off. And we, some of us were a little bit not so well behaved. And there was, a, there was a trick that we all did, which was you had to try to quickly throw a snowball. And, um, and if you could throw a snowball and you wanted to hit, you know, one of the windows where one of your friends was sitting and you didn't, you didn't, you, the, the goal was not to get caught by the bus monitor. And so, uh, I, as I got off the bus, um, I quickly made the snowball and I released it. Um, and to my great chagrin, it hit the window where the bus monitor was standing. And so I was caught and I got a very, very frowned face and I got in big trouble the next day in school also. But what was even more interesting to me was that behind me was my father. My father was coming home from work and he had just pulled up um, and he saw me and his face was a smile. He wasn't laughing at what I did. That wasn't the point. He was standing there smiling as if I know what you did, but I'm still smiling at you. And even though I knew I was in trouble, the fact that he was smiling at me gave me the message that I still love you despite you doing something wrong. 
And so I said, I believe that when Hashem sends this pretty rainbow, he's smiling at us. He's saying, okay, world, I know that you're not acting the way you should be, but I'm still giving you a message. And I'm not going to destroy you because that was the commitment that I made. And it's a new world now. Um, not, it's not the same world of other Marishon that I created that had a stricter uh, standard. But it is a world where Hashem says, I'm still watching and I still know what you're doing. There is a there is a din and there is da, a dahan. And so Hashem smiles at us, but that's hopefully we could get the hint and uh, do tshuva for the things that we need to do. Uh, the Ramban also brings down a very fascinating thing, and we find this in Chazal as well, uh, the desire to track um, the Masorah. And the Ramban says that Noah saw his own father, and his father had seen Adma Rishon. And so Noah was really um, a, a link in our Masorah um, from Adam to Noah's father through generations. And we know that Avraham saw Noah as well for 58 years. In fact, the gematria of Noah, Nunches, is 58 because Adam and because um, Avraham and Noah overlapped for 58 years. So our Masorah is really very, very strong. And if we think about it, you know, the, the Masorah of uh, Briyas Olam that was passed down from Adam, who said, you know, Hashem created the world, um, that's a really, really powerful thing that could help be Mishazik Aramuna, like the Kuzari says, on an intellectual level, to know that uh, it's been passed down literally uh, from Adam to Noah's father, to Noah, and then to Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, and to all of us from there. Uh, finally, the last thing I want to talk about is at the end of Parshish Noah. Um, so the Ramban makes a very fascinating Kabbalistic, like we talked about in the first one, the first uh, Parshish Barashas, that there are some Kabbalistic comments. And he says that if you look at the whole Mabel, it always mentions the name of Elohim throughout the whole Mabel, which is Din, that's Hashem as, as a judge. But throughout the Darha Flaga, which is the uh, the generation where they built um the um, tower to go fight against Hashem. So there it always uses the Shem HaMiyuchad, which uh, is referring to Yud Kei So why is that? So the Ramban explains that the reason is because throughout the Mabal, there was Hashchas HaSa'aretz, that they perverted their ways on the land. And therefore, there was an attack against uh, the Shem Elohim. This is what it seems to mean. And as the Rakanti, a very famous uh, safer that explains the Kabbalistic and sometimes shot other Ramban, usually the Kabbalistic part, he explains that Elohim is always din. And so during the Mabal, there was absolute din that was going on because it was intolerable what they had done. Uh, whereas in the uh, time of the Aflaga, so what the Ramban is explaining is that by the Mabal, there was absolute destruction because uh, the Shem Elohim was evoked. The The actions were intolerable. But when it came to the Dar HaFlaga, the Shem HaMiyuchad was evoked because uh, they were fighting against uh, Hashem intellectually, but they hadn't perverted their ways on the earth. And so there was more tolerance and more Rachmim, and the Hashem mixed them up, but he didn't destroy them. And once again, we find by Sodom, there was a destruction of the way of the earth and the way that people treated each other. And uh, stealing and um, cheating. And so that, once again, was intolerable to Hashem. And so there was destruction. So, of course, these words are Kabbalistic, and you could look at the uh, Rikanti and Lavush if you want more understanding. I don't claim to understand what they're referring to exactly. But what I do see from here is that it kind of reminds me of what the Medrash says, that Halvai Osu Azu, Taurasi Shemaru, that Hashem says, Halvai, if the Jews are going to sin, they could forsake me. 
but at least they're going to keep my Torah. At least they're going to still act appropriate and keep learning because I'm a Mafzir Lamutov. If you're still holding on to proper behavior and trying to and trying to learn Torah and trying to do what's right, um, you might be making mistakes, but at least that could bring you back. But if you're perverting your ways and mistreating other people, that Hashem has no tolerance. And um, like we described by the people of Ninveh, the the Iker Chua they had to do was from was from the um the, the stealing that they were doing. And we know the Chavetz Chaim used to say before Neila that we have to make sure that we're not stealing and mistreating other people because that's that's a big kitchen against us. And so we want to focus on really living our life with Hashem, of course, through Torah and through proper deos about Hashem and through proper understanding. But what seems to be the most intolerable to Hashem to a certain degree that could uh, literally uh, cause the entire world to be destroyed in the Mabel was the Gezel and the Hamas Hashem Kapam, the way that they were mistreating each other. And that's really, really powerful to think about. Thanks for joining us. For more Torah content and to make sure you never miss an episode, don't forget to subscribe and visit us at ParshaThemes.com.